Well, good morning, everybody. In case you don't know who I am, I am the Director of Missions for Three Rivers Baptist Association, which your church is a part of. Uh, you might know me better as Kathy's boss. So that's uh, kind of my role that I play. Um, just so that you're aware, on the 20th of this month, we have our associational leadership training that you probably have already heard about. There's still time for you to come be a part of that. It's at, down the road at Friendship, uh, starting at 6 o'clock with a meal. Uh, I know registration's over, but you can still go because I put in extra food, so you can, uh, you can come be a part of that. And then on October 2nd is our annual meeting uh, that's going to be held at Island City in Wilmington, and that's open to anybody that wants to come and see what's been happening in the association for the past year and some of the plans of what's going to be taking place uh, for the next year as we work together. So now, if you have your Bibles, and you should have your Bibles, if you will open them to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 13, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, I've been the interim pastor down at Friendship. I'm still there. Actually, I had to get somebody to preach for me so I could preach here today. And um, we have been looking at the Gospel. And most of the time, we don't understand the totality of the Gospel message. The Gospel comes with three components. And many times, we'll just focus on one component. The three components are the gospel of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus came uh, during that time of the, what we call the Passion Week, the week in which uh, he uh, comes to the city of Jerusalem, he goes to the Lord's Supper in the upper room, and eventually he's crucified. Uh, all of that was about his announcing his kingship as the king of the kingdom of God. And then the other component is the gospel of the cross. We know after that week, he went to the cross. He died on the cross in order that we might have life everlasting. And so part of the gospel message is the message of the cross. And, and nowadays, that's kind of the, the stumbling point for people. Uh, people don't really realize that they need a Savior. Uh, you may tell them about the Savior, and they may have compassion because you've told them about how Jesus died on the cross for them, but they don't really believe that they needed anybody to die for them. They don't really believe that they're a sinner. They don't really know what it means to be a sinner. And that's the third component. That's the gospel of grace. And grace has two components. The one component that we always talk about is that God so loved us that he gave his son that we might have life everlasting. And that he provided entrance into the kingdom of God through the cross. And we have that. The other component of grace that we don't often talk about, and this is why people today don't believe they need a Savior, is the fact that we are sinners and we can't save ourselves. And there's nothing we can do, absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. Only Christ can do that. And he did that through the cross. And because we don't talk about that part, we don't... We don't think much about our responsibility, what we are responsible to do, what it is that we're supposed to be about. We kind of gotten into a mode that the guy that stands in this place where I'm standing, it's, it's his responsibility. He has to do it all, that he is responsible. We pay him, and so because we pay him, he has to do it. But that's not what the Scripture says. That's not what the Scripture says at all. Matter of fact, today, we're going to look at one of Jesus' parables, and in that parable, it's going to talk about a, a couple of things. One of the things it's going to talk about is that there comes a point when God says enough is enough. 
And I'm not talking about with the world. I'm talking about with you. That there's going to come a point that if you're not doing what God's called you to do, if you've been relying on the guy standing up here to do it, that God's going to tell you enough is enough. I'm going to give you a second chance, and after that, there'll be no more chances. And if you're not bringing about productivity in your ministry, then there's going to be a judgment for that. There will be no more second chances. And it's going to talk about how we need to be productive and all the things that God gives us to be able to be productive. So let's look at this parable. And in Luke 13, beginning with verse 6, I'm going to read to you from the New American Standard 1995 uh, edition of that translation. And it says, And he, being Jesus, began telling this parable, this story. A man had a fig tree, which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered, and this is the vineyard and the gardener, he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it, and I put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. And now, this is the parable that Jesus tells us about productivity. Now, the problem with parables is we got to figure out who's who and what's what. Now, we have advantage today because if we read on in the scriptures, eventually Jesus will sit his disciples down and his disciples oftentimes he would explain to them the parables. But if you were just hearing it for the very first time with no hindsight, if, if you could put yourself in the, in the feet of those who were seated around Jesus that day when he told this story, you got to figure out what's what and who's who. That's what this is about. Here's this owner who comes to his vineyard and he looks at this fig tree and he looks at this fig tree and he's been looking at it for three years he's been coming to this tree and for three years it's produced nothing nothing at all and so he says to his gardener cut it down get rid of it why is it used in the ground just get rid of it the gardener intercedes and he says you know wait a minute wait a minute let me let me have another year. Let me see what I can do. Now, I'll probably say this again later, but I started gardening again. And for the last three years, I've been gardening. Now, understand, I know how to garden. My father was a truck farmer. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'll explain. A truck farmer doesn't raise trucks. A truck farmer raises produce. Corn and green beans and tomatoes and potatoes and all those things that I have in my garden. That's, that's what we did for a living. We were hog farmers first, and then the city annexed us in the city, and you can't raise hogs in the city. So we took all this well-fertilized ground, and we turned it into a produce farm. And so I know how to raise produce. I know how to do it. I just hated doing it for years because I had to take care of it for so many years as a kid. Now, I go out and pick green beans now. My green bean batches from about there to there. It's not so bad, but when I was a kid, it was two acres. And so I had to bend over to pick green beans for my long rows, acres of it. So I didn't want to do it. 
But I come to my garden and I look at certain things and I'm frustrated. The other day I went out and I looked at all the, the cabbages and the Brussels sprouts and the broccoli that was not producing anything. I yanked them all out of the ground, threw them away. And that's how the owner felt. He comes to this fig tree and, and he, he looks at it and he says, for three years he comes. Three years he comes and looks at this tree. And, and the thing is, I don't know anything about figs. I have absolutely no concept of, of what figs do. Matter of fact, my oldest son, who lives in Mobile, Alabama, last Christmas sent me a fig tree for Christmas. It was about this big. And he, he sent me this fig tree. And I, did not, I knew nothing about fig trees except I know you don't ship them in December to northern Illinois. <laughs> I, I put it in my bathroom hoping to save it, and I watched leaf by leaf by leaf by leaf fall off. I was supposed to plant it this spring. By the time it was spring, it was nothing but a dry stick. It didn't produce anything. But I did research and found out that if a fig tree hasn't produced figs in three years, it's likely not going to. It's going to take an intercession of God for it to produce. And so the owner comes to this this tree, and he keeps looking at it, and he keeps looking at it, and he keeps looking at you and looking at you, and he keeps asking... Why aren't you producing? Why aren't you, why aren't you producing? Because the first thing that this parable tells us is that God expects us to be fruitful. He expects us to be productive. He expects us to, to produce fruit. He expects us to, to bring forth those figs because you realize that a fig tree, its sole purpose is to bear free, figs, to grow them. That's what it's about. And not just any kind of fruit, but very, very productive, quality fruit that he expects from us. When I moved into the house I'm living in, I've been there 17 years now. Uh, when I moved into it, there were seven apple trees in my backyard. And they produced apples, but they were worthless. They weren't any good. And so slowly, year by year, I cut this one down, I cut this one down, and I cut this one down. I have two left, and they're going this fall. They're going to be gone. They're not even hardly bearing fruit now, the two that are left. When the owner comes, and we're looking at the fig tree, when the owner comes to look at the fig tree, whose sole responsibility is to bear fruit, to be productive, and it's not, he says to the gardener, cut it down, get rid of it. Why is it using up my soil? Matter of fact, in the King James, it says, why cumbereth in the ground? Now, if you look up the word cumbereth, if you put it into your computer and you type in the word cumbereth, you Google it, it's going to tell you it's a misspelled word. You're not going to find it. Unless you happen to get a, a passage that's from the scriptures, because that's the only place that word is used anywhere in the world is in the King James Version where it says cumbereth. They changed it in the 1580s to the word cumbersome. And cumbereth means to render useless, to make vain. It's, it's rendering the soil useless. It's making the ground vain. The word cumbersome says it's, it's useless and taking up space that, that needs to have something else there that's productive. It's hindering. It says, the good usage of the land. Another translation is, it's embarrassing. To be cumbersome is to be 
embarrassing. When God looks at our lives, if we're not bearing fruit, if we are not producing, it's, it's not the guy we hire to do it, it's, it's us. When he looks at your life, if he looks at you and he sees that you're not bearing quality fruit, you're not bearing fruit at all, you're like that fig tree that's not a single fig has grown on it, not a one. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to the kingdom, it's embarrassing to God, and it should be embarrassing to us. Because we're not doing what God left us here in this world to do. Now, I believe God is a loving God. And I believe God cares for me uh, more than I could ever care for myself. And so as, as I think about God being a loving God, as I think about him being such a compassionate God who cares for me and wants me to have uh, the kingdom of heaven and be a part of that kingdom of God and enter into that kingdom, I ask myself then, why did he leave me here? The moment I embraced Christ, he should have snatched me from this world and taken me to the kingdom of heaven where I could be a part of the kingdom of God and be there sitting at the feet of Jesus and enjoying the, the grace and the knowledge and the, and the warmth of the heaven and all that that has to offer us. But he didn't take me there. He left me here, and he left you here. And the reason he left us here is to be like the fig tree, to bear fruit, to be fruitful. It's our responsibility to be the kind of person that, that bears fruit. Now, I know you can look at this and you can research this parable and you could look at all the, what the historians and the theologians say and they'll, they'll tell you that, you know, this is talking about, when it's talking about the, the fig tree, it's talking about Israel and how Israel wasn't producing and, and some others will say it was like the, the synagogue of the Jews, it wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing and some will even say, hey, you know, the fig tree, it's, it's all about America and how America's not doing what America's supposed to be doing or the church today isn't doing what the church today as, a, as, as a, a corporate group isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. And that's all true. But God never said something that was just for somebody else. It was always for us too. It's not just about them in the past. It's about us now. And so when he looks at your life, he sees you like that fig tree. And he's going to judge, are you being productive? Are you bearing fruit? Are you being cumbersome? Are you not producing? Are you not living up to your expectation and the reason he left you here? He left you here to bear fruit, to, to minister to those around us and to help others come into the kingdom of God, to experience the, the hope of the grace and the hope of the cross and to have, have that good news be a part of our lives. And, and it's our job to be bearing fruit. And so I ask you, where's your fruit? What's your fig? What are you doing today and the current circumstances of your life and this world, what are you doing that's the most productive, worthwhile, Christ-honoring thing that you can do? Are you making disciples? See, it's not, it's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not even the, the, your, your, your life group's leader's responsibility. It's your responsibility to make disciples, to bear fruit. 
And not just any kind of fruit, but, but quality fruit. Are you making disciples that are making disciples that are making disciples in order to grow the kingdom of God? Jesus died for the kingdom of God. When he announced his kingship on, on Palm Sunday, when he rode into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, he was announcing to the whole world that he was the new king. And not only did he ride into Jerusalem, he went from there, from riding on the donkey, he went over to the temple, and he went to the temple because the temple's where his throne is. When he arrived at the throne, he found it in disarray, and so he cleaned the temple, he cleaned the palace. And because he announced his kingship, they crucified him. They didn't crucify him because he was the Messiah. They didn't crucify him because the Jews wanted him. They crucified him because he said he was the new king and it was a new kingdom and Caesar wouldn't have anything to do with that. They killed him because of the new kingdom. But it's our responsibility to grow that kingdom for which he died. It's our responsibility to reach those people that he died for, and that's everybody. And it's, it's our responsibility to be bearing fruit. So let me ask you again, where's your fruit? Who are you serving today? You're serving your family? Are you serving your neighbors? You know, God gave us the greatest strategy to reach the world, to love your neighbors as you love yourself. We try all these other strategies, and they all seem to fail because we're not doing the God's strategy, and God's strategy was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You don't have to go overseas to be a missionary. You don't have to go to another country. You just got to walk out your front door or your back door, because right there is your mission field, where you need to be bearing fruit. How many of your neighbors do you know by name? How many of your neighbors do you know their spiritual condition? How many of your neighbors do you know how to serve to meet their needs? How many of your neighbors can you bear fruit for? You know, fruit isn't for the tree. Fruit's for those who pick the fruit. Now, the one good advantage of all those apple trees that I had in my yard is we couldn't get a single apple pie out of it. Not a one. The birds loved it. The worms loved it. And the bees loved it. I just started thinking yesterday as I was raking my yard again and there weren't that many apples, I just realized I hadn't seen as many bees in my yard this year. And maybe that's why my garden's not doing so well. So now I'm double thinking cutting those other two apple trees down because <laughs> I need the bees. But I guarantee you the apples weren't for the apple tree. They're for whoever partakes of them. Are you bearing fruit? Because this parable tells you that the fig tree is you and you need to be bearing fruit, quality fruit. Because the owner, and you can guess who the owner is. I don't have to tell you that one. God is looking at you and he's asking, are you cumbersome? Are you wasting space? Are you doing what he's called you to do, what he created you to do, and what he left you here in this world to accomplish? Are you bearing that fruit? Now, here's, here's the good news. The second thing in this parable that we learn is that the gardener is on our side. The gardener's for us. The owner of the vineyard says, in verse 8, he says, you know, verse 7, he says, cut it down. 
And in verse 8, the gardener says, no, 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 wait a minute. Stop, time out. Give me a chance. Give me another year. Let me, let me make this tree my special project. Let me work with this tree for another year. Let me, let me dig around it. Let me pour in some fertilizer. Let me prune it some. And let's see what it does next year. Years ago, I used to be a parts and service manager for a uh, truck and turf equipment company, and we sold, you know, turf equipment, which means lawnmowers, stuff for, you know, for uh, all of these golf courses, all these Toro lawnmowers, all these things. And one of the things that we sold was an apple picking machine. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. It was a tractor that would come up, and it would clamp onto the trunk of the apple tree, and it would just shake it. Just shake it. All the apples would fall off into this umbrella-type device, and then they have all the apples, and they just haul them away. And what they, what they found was not only did it pick the apples by shaking it, but when they shook the tree, it loosened up all the root system. And next year, that tree produced more fruit and better quality fruit because the root system had been dug up. Space had been given to it. The soil had been loosened, made it grow better, absorb water better, absorb the nutrients of the fertilizer better. And that's what the gardener is saying. He says, let me, let me, let me shake this tree a little bit. And, and when God gets you and makes you his special project, he's going to shake your tree. He's going to rattle you. He's going to loosen the root system. He's going to dig around. He's going to fertilize. And back then, fertilizer was a manure. He's going to manureize you. He's going to do everything he can to make you productive in your life because you're a special project. Now, he could have said, okay, Father, you're the owner. Cut him down. Get rid of him. You know, we can create a new tree, and maybe it'll produce more. But that's not what he said. He chose to make you a special project. And so if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, I, I really haven't been producing. I've been, I've been waiting for the pastor to do it. I've been waiting for the, the, you know, the small group leadership to do it. I've been waiting for somebody else to do it. You're getting a second chance today. And God's going to make you a special project. His son's going to work in your life today. He's going he's to shake up your life. He's going to show you areas of your life that need to be pruned away, needs to be cut away. You know, with my apple trees, I thought if I just cut them back, they were too big. If I just cut them back, they, they would not bear as much fruit, and, and I wouldn't have to pick up as many rotted apples off the ground. I picked them up by the five-gallon buckets and threw them over my back fence. You know, I don't have a neighbor. I have a farm behind me, so the, the farmer was glad. But when I cut those trees back, the next year I had more apples to pick up, and they still weren't quality because it was just a poor-quality tree. But God can prune your life and take out the poor quality. And he can fertilize what you're doing in order for you to bear more fruit. Matter of fact, the scripture says that, that he's not just the gardener, but he's the gardener of our soul. Sirius of Alexander, who lived in the 5th century, he preached a sermon, and in that sermon he said that the, you know, the, the vine dresser, the gardener, is the son of God. And he is on your side. And he is there as your advocate with the Father, as your propitiation, as that sacrifice that needs to be made for you, as the gardener of your soul. 
And he's the advocate. He's the advocate. Now, advocate means he's our lawyer. He intercedes for us with the Father. And we're standing before God, and God's looking at our life. And if we haven't been bearing fruit, if we haven't been productive, if we've been kind of sitting on our laurels, and we've been taking in and feeding ourselves, and we've been enjoying all the worship and all the, the messages we've heard, but we haven't really been doing anything with it, we need an advocate to stand before us and God. And that's Jesus. And he advocates for us. He, he's the lawyer for us. He, he presents to the, to the judge, to the, to the father, to the owner of the vineyard, he presents that, that he's here to take care of us, to look after us, to make us his special project. Now, as an advocate, as a lawyer, we don't have a good image of lawyers in America today. We don't. But reality is, if you're innocent, and you're brought before a judge, you want a good lawyer to represent you. You want a good advocate to stand there for you. And I, I, I watch a lot of lawyer shows and movies. And if you've watched any of them, the, the difference most of the time between those lawyers on TV and God is the lawyers on TV are really advocating with the judge in that show, trying to get their innocent client released and get the right verdict for their innocent client. The problem is, the difference between those shows and us is, we're not the innocent one. We're the guilty one. We're guilty for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. And so we really need an advocate who can intercede for us with the judge because we're guilty. As the saying goes, we're as guilty as sin because we are sinners. And we're guilty. And yet the gardener's on our side. He advocates for us. Matter of fact, he advocates so much as the gardener of our soul, he became the propitiation. Now that's a, you know, a big $25 biblical word. It's propitiation, expiation, those big words. You know, my wife hates it when I preach on those. I have, I have a series of words she hates. Propitiation, expiation, justification, reconciliation. All those sh words she doesn't like. And so let me say, propitiation, expiation, he became the final sacrifice. That's what those words mean. He stepped in your place, and he died for you. That's how much he's on your side. He died on the cross for you. He took your place. I used to be a chaplain in uh, the Fort Des Moines Correctional Facility in Des Moines, Iowa, and then I was at a little jail in uh, Osceola, Missouri, and I was a, a chaplain there. And when I was in Osceola, I was, I was meeting with four guys that were incarcerated. They were all about uh, ready to be sent off to state or federal penitentiaries, and I was ministering to them. They had already been tried. They would already been found guilty. They would already been sentenced, and they were about to be transferred. And so I was trying to, to share with them the gospel, trying to touch their lives, to give them some hope from where they were going. Many of them were going to be in jail for a number of years. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried to present the gospel, and they just didn't catch it. They didn't understand it. And finally, God said, just tell them this. Say, what if you knew of a guy who right now would walk into this cell and take your place, and you could go free? How many of you would accept what that guy was willing to do? That he was willing to take your place and go serve your sentence in the federal penitentiary or state penitentiary, wherever you were going. He willingly would switch places with you, and you could go free. And all four of those guys raised their hands. They would do it in a minute. 
And I said, that's what Jesus has done for you eternally. As our gardener of our soul, as our advocate for us, he intercedes. He intercedes for us. And he says, Father, let me make this person my special project. Let me make Dan Eddington my special project for this year. Let me, let me work with him. Let me prune him. Let me shake up his life. Let me put fertilizer on him. Let me do everything I can for him to be productive and bear fruit. He advocates, even though he knows I'm guilty, even though he knows I'm the reason that he'll go to the cross, he is willing to do that. He'll do that for us. And he did it for me, and he's done it for you, but he did it so you could bear fruit and be productive. And if you're not, he's giving you a second chance today. And he may give you a third, and he may give you a fourth, but I guarantee you this, there will come a point where he will stop giving you second chances. He will say enough is enough, because that's what the rest of this parable tells us. In verse 9 it says, let me do all these things. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, here's the neat thing about this whole parable. You get to write the ending. You get to decide how it ends. Now, I have grandchildren. I have a number of grandchildren. I have a couple of great-grandchildren. And they love to have stories read to them. And the older ones like the stories where they got to pick the ending. You know those little stories that there's two or three endings and you get to pick which direction you want to go and you get to choose how the story is going to end and it ends one of three different ways? That's kind of like, that's the story of your life. You get to choose. The gardener of your soul is going to do everything he can for you. He's going to advocate for you. He's going to fertilize you. He's going to prune you. He's going to make you his special project. But you and you alone get to write the ending. Because Jesus says, if you bear fruit, fine. If you don't, cut them out. If you cut out a fig tree, you throw it into a fire. You burn it up. You turn it to ash. And God is telling you today that if he's giving you a second chance today, you get to write the ending of this story. You get to decide if you're going to be productive or not. You get to decide if you're going to step up to the plate and allow what God has done in your life, as Jesus has advocated for you, that you will step up and you will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. You will go out and you will start making disciples and you will make good quality disciples, the disciples that are making disciples that will make disciples. You'll help them grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. You'll help them turn away from the wickedness of their lives. You'll help them first acknowledge that, that they are a sinner and that they fall short of the glory of God. You'll help them to acknowledge that, that the wages of sin is death. You'll help them to repent and come back to Christ. But you have to do it in a way that's not judgmental, that's not holier than thou, that you're not standing above them and looking down at them, but it's because you love them and you embrace them and you love them as you love yourself. And what you have, you want them to have. That's the task. That you need help with. 
And the advocate is there to help you. The Holy Spirit of God, the, the, that comforter of the soul is there to help you. But the choice is yours. Understand this, though. God says there will be a point when there will be no more second chances. Now, we like grace, and we like the fact that God gives us what we don't deserve. We give us what, what Christ deserves. Uh, he gives us all those wonderful, great things. We, we love that. We don't like to think that God says, time out, that's enough. You're done. When I read this, I, I remember a friend of mine, his name was Bill. He was a colonel in the United States Army, and he had served in Vietnam at four different tours. He had seen the worst of the worst. He had seen the, the horror of man can do to man. He was not a believer. His wife was a believer. His children were believers. He was not a believer, and, and he just said one day, all of a sudden, God spoke to him just as clear as day and said, Bill, this is your last chance. Either you embrace me today, or I'm going to let you go. And I'm not going to be there, and I'm not going to offer you another chance. This is it, last chance. <coughs> and Bill said the moment God said that to him, all of the horrors he had seen that man could do to man began flashing through his mind. And he knew how bad it could be without God. And he came to know Christ. And he spent the remainder of his years, which weren't that many, but he spent the remainder of his years bearing fruit for the kingdom. He helped me grow. He helped others grow. He became a gardener for many of us, inter interceding in our lives, praying for us, teaching us, discipling us. But he knew that God said, this is it. No more chances. It's time. And Bill gave his heart and life to Christ and began to bear fruit. The question is, how are you going to write the story? Maybe you're already on, the on, on that journey. You are, maybe you're already producing fruit, but we can always bear more fruit and better fruit, and we can invest more time and better time in helping people grow. But if you're here and you haven't been bearing fruit, then then consider this, the, this parable is about repentance. It's about us repenting. It's about us turning around. The word repentance just literally means I'm going this direction, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to go this direction. I've been doing these things, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to do the things that God wants me to do. I, I've been taking up the space on the ground. I, I've been, been living my life and enjoying it, but I haven't been bearing fruit. I'm going to start bearing fruit. I'm going to repent of my old ways and start following the new way. And the way you do that is you draw closer to the gardener. You get closer to that one who's there to intercede for you and help you and to prune your life and give you everything you need. You need to spend time in prayer with him. You need to spend time in the word with him. You need to let him cultivate your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. That's what our soul is. You need to draw near to him. And you need to start bearing fruit. Ask yourself, what's the most important Christ-honoring thing I can do today? When you leave here, you know, because it wasn't coming here. This was for your benefit. The orchestrator of worship is you, is God 
helping you, not you helping God. We get that all wrong. Now, God benefits from our worship of him. He enjoys that worship. He enjoys that time. But he is here to empower you and equip you. So the most Christ-honored thing you can do is not come here today. It's go out there and love your neighbor as yourself. It's to serve others. So what are you going to do today to write the ending of this story that's positive? That when the owner comes back after a year, and it doesn't tell us in this parable what happens. But we can write the story that when the owner comes back and he looks at us and he's going to applaud us and say, good job, you're bearing fruit. Let it live, let it grow, let it bear fruit. We don't want to hear him come back in a year and look at our lives and say, cut it down, cut it out. I'm done. Why are you covereth the ground? Why are you wasting the space? This is a wonderful parable that comes with a dire warning. It comes with a warning that God has given you everything you need and you get to write the end of the story. How will you end the story is the question today. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you thankful for the opportunity to gather here to worship, to allow your spirit to intercede with our spirit and help us to recognize that we are the children of God and that you are working in our lives and you want us to bear fruit. But Father, today we need to to write the end of this story and write it in a positive way that when you come and examine our lives, you'll see the fruit that we've been bearing, the things that we are doing through the power of your Son at work in our lives, the disciples that we're making and the neighbors that we're loving and the kingdom that's growing. That's not our kingdom, but your kingdom. Father, help each and every single one of us take this second opportunity today to bear fruit because that's why you left us here is to bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.